You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, when I was learning to drive, my driving teacher used to say, look where you're going, or you're going to go where you're looking. That's good advice, because every time when a cow goes by the side, I like to look at the cows. <laughs> look, squirrel. Yeah. So, you know, the book of Hebrews says the same thing. Look where you're going. It does. Well, where are we supposed to look? We'll find out today on More Than Ink. Well, good morning to you. It's a wonderful fall day. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And uh, we're, we're just so glad that you're with us and you've slogged through with us on uh, <laughs> the book of Hebrews. Uh, just really a very worthwhile thing to yeah, be doing. We are really coming close to the end yeah. here. So he's, so he's tying up a lot of loose ends. He's getting to the point of the entire uh, 11 chapters we've done. And there's only 13, so we're starting the chapter 12. So we're, we're really getting close to the end on Hebrews. But boy, what a, what a great thing it is. And he is uh, starting off today with uh, with the word that always causes us to go backwards. Mm. It's the word therefore. therefore. <laughs> it's the first word in Hebrews 12. <clears throat> so it's worth asking the question here before we move on, why is it there? You know, Right. And, uh, and if you recall, he just went through all of chapter 11, uh, giving us a bunch of examples of people from the Old Testament who uh, preferred the city that is to come from right. God who right. preferred what what is you know the the best of life which is after this life and he and he demonstrated for us how all of these people like way way back all of these people preferred to say you know I'll put up with a bunch of um, compromised living <laughs> right now for the purposes of holding out for what God is going to bring right and and right. that was the whole point of that whole parade of people that he put there and he says that the thing that allowed them to put their hope in what's to come instead of what they see right now is this word faith faith yeah faith is believing god's promise he said he was going to bring us to that and what they did they said okay i'm taking it at your word even though things look bad right now i'm holding out for that and that actually is the bigger bigger message of all of hebrews is this creator god wants us to have abundant life but you got to believe his promise for it or else you'll you'll fail like the israelites who didn't get in the promised land because they didn't believe his promise right so you know the hebrews 11 begins with that definition of faith and it's that that settled confidence, confidence. in the reality of god's promises yeah. even though you can't see them as completed yet yeah and they're often not seen they're right. often that's invisible. the whole point of yeah. faith that there is an unseen reality that is more mm -hmm. concrete, more real than mm -hmm. what we are experiencing here and now. And these people he just prayed before us were people who were willing to put off what they could see for what they right. couldn't see, and faith right. told them it was gonna happen anyway. And to endure, and to live in all kinds of unpleasant circumstances and to do difficult things right. for exactly. the sake of what they could not yet see, but they knew was coming because God had said it was. Right, and that's not a unique message to Hebrews. The entire no. Bible is like that. The entire Bible is like that. Well, we saw that, right, yeah. in chapter 11 when we saw him 
list everybody from the beginning of Genesis clear through until he just runs out of steam and says, time's failing me, I can't say anymore, (laughs) but there's more, right? And so he begins this chapter by saying there's this huge cloud of witnesses. Yeah, and that's how he starts chapter 12. If all those people were willing to put up with, you know, hard living right now because they're putting their hope and their trust in what God's going to bring then how about us? Are we in that yeah, position? You know, it strikes me that we so often get discouraged because we think we're alone in yeah. our circumstances. And do we, we just forget that we are standing on the shoulders of all those who went before this great cloud of people who yeah. walked enduring in faith. And if we take the time to look back at their faith yeah. and how they came through what they endured, uh, that's a tremendous encouragement to us. Yeah, and especially for a Hebrew audience in this particular case. I mean, he's, right. he's talking about uh, he's talking about all these people who, well, they're all Jewish, right? They're all Hebrew. And you would be tempted to think at the time of Jesus, around the time this was written, that, that they got their reward. They got to the promised land. And he's saying, but they didn't. They didn't. And we were talking about people like Abraham and all those guys. Right. They didn't. And, and it, that never was. Well, they didn't in this life. In this life, exactly, right. yeah. And so, so basically, if you look at all your Hebrew ancestors, talking to Hebrew audience, they were waiting for something right. much better. They were looking ahead. So we should too. So, it, I mean, it's really, it's a, it's a great argument. So let's just jump into 12. So okay. you want to start us off Absolutely. and read chapter 12, verse 1. Okay. Therefore, and now we're in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. 12, verse 1. Exactly. <laughs> verse one. Yeah. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah. Okay. So in classic ancient style, again, he gives us the conclusion, the conclusion. of the whole chapter. <laughs> this, is his, this is his point, and he's going to embellish it some, but this is his point. So, so what's he saying? This cloud of witnesses, all these right. people that just paraded in front of us in Hebrews 11 in the previous chapter, these people were waiting. You know, they were waiting and they, and so they ran with endurance. They're waiting for what God has come to promise to us. So if they did that, we should do that too. No, but his practical advice about how to do that, how do you wait? Hmm. It's interesting that he puts sin in the middle of this picture. Well, and wait, the New American Standard here says encumbrance. An encumbrance. Everything yeah. that holds you back and gets in your way. Yeah. So like if you were going to run a foot race, I used, right. to, I used to hate running foot races. <laughs> junior high if you want to run a foot race you don't carry extra weight and you make sure your your feet are not all tangled right and he's saying there is stuff that you're carrying that slows you down and that tangles your feet and that thing is sin well and and the word for sin of course is here is missing the mark right aiming at the wrong target not knowing where the finish line is right 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 if you are running a long race and you don't know where the finish line is and you run real hard off course you're not going to finish right so he says lay aside all the things that are entangling you distracting you weighing you down yeah yeah and the sin 
that causes you to miss the mark, yeah. aiming at the wrong target. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't expound on it a lot here. The rest of the New Testament does, right? But it basically says that sin is something that entangles you and keeps you here. Mm-hmm. And I, I've talked about this a lot, where sin basically promises you life, and it really right. doesn't provide life. It's an it's an entanglement to you keeping your sight at what's promised right. in the end. So that that's exactly how he's using it here as well. Don't let that stuff you know, weigh you down. You know, sin is a false promise as opposed to the true promise, which is God saying, I have a better life in, in you know, for you. coming up Well, here. and he says, you know, run with endurance. Well, endurance yeah. requires training and it requires keeping going on even when something attempts to entangle you. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, uh, this word endurance, I had to look it up. Um, is more often translated patience. And, mm. and literally mm-hmm. in Greek, it means to remain under something. Right. So his, what he's saying right here is you need to stay on in this direction and remain under whatever it is that you're right. under and just stay under that and get to the end. So, so that's what he's saying. And, and that's what you do in a race too. Again, in a foot race, I, halfway right. through the 400 meter, I think I'm pushed. I'm just yeah. going to quit and go you know, in the infield. Yeah. So, no, just remain under that until you get to the end. But but in a good in a good foot race metaphor, he says looking to Jesus. You always look to right. the finish line. And uh, but in this particular case, Jesus isn't so much the finish line. He's the one that allows you to run the race. He's the founder and the perfecter of your faith. Mm. And those are two both really the, good the, good words. You know, Jesus in Revelation says he's the the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning right. and the end. Well, when it comes to your faith. He's also the beginning and the end. The founder here is the is the is the first leader. It means right. to lead first. Right. He's the one that starts that process in you, and the perfecter. Again, that's our word. Tell us, you know, he's the end of it too. So he's the one that gets you on the track and allows you to stay focused at the end goal because of faith. And he he does that for you. He's the founder and the perfecter of our well, faith. Well, and this actually does harken back to I think it's in chapter six where the writer says, you know, he is the forerunner. The He's forerunner. gone before us into yes. the holy of holies and yeah. anchored our souls yep yeah left the way open for us yeah or he was called what i called the captain he's the leader right. he's the first the charge he's, he's out in front and we just follow him yeah and and it says he's our example here too in the end of verse two he, because for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despising the shame so mm. he stayed under all that stuff he hoopo may note he stayed under all that stuff because there was something much better at the end for the joy that was set before him yeah you know that idea of the joy was where his attention was fixed right and so he went to the cross but he went through the cross mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. he was fixed on what it would accomplish that was his goal because what of what what was to right. come right yeah, yes exactly. and it, even though it was yet unaccomplished yeah until he went through the cross. Yeah. So Jesus didn't didn't set up shop to have a wonderful life in the world. Yeah. Thank <laughs> he was, God he didn't. He was someone who was in transition through the world for something much, much better. Well, and he sure could have. That actually yeah. was one of the temptations yeah. that Satan offered him, right? Worship me and I'll give you all of this right. in the here and now. Right. Right. And he said, No, I <laughs> yeah. I've got a different goal. Yeah, and using the race metaphor again, Satan had offered him, you know, a cozy little uh, mansion in the infield of the racetrack mm. <laughs> it's like it's a it's a great distraction this is not the end uh, the promise of god is is still to come well and this idea of looking to jesus in the process of running you know when i was learning to drive one of my driving teachers says now look where you're going or you're going to wind up going where you're looking mm. right mm. so uh, that's just a great picture here where are your eyes where are your fixed eyes? yes because yes. we are on a on a track that God has laid out for us. Yeah. 
are, are our eyes fixed where God has said, now focus here. Focus there. And we yeah. get in trouble emotionally because we focus here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's always the case. Right. We, Either on our circumstances or on ourselves. We ourself. complain about the problems. Right. And he'll, he'll come to that in a second. But I think that's probably the most important a thrust of this section is he says, where are your eyes placed? Where are, where are you aiming eyes? towards? What, what are you looking you, at? What are your goals? Are you going through this place? Or are you setting up shop in right. this place? This world's not my home, as we've right. said before. Right. And that's really what he's getting at. And that's what he demonstrated with all these people in Hebrews 11. They were passing through, clearly, because they believed God's promise of something much, yeah. much better. The thing that he earlier in Hebrews called rest, this wonderful place that, that God's providing. And then he adds to that metaphor, not just a place of rest and pasture, you know, a nice way, but he adds this idea of a city, which is just a wonderful idea of a great orderly right. place of peace and joy and provision. That's going to come up in the second yeah. half of this chapter so that, next this, week. These are, these are all, this is the promises of God fulfilled. And so consider him. Yeah. That means employ your mind, right? That's the right. beginning of verse three. Right. Think about it. Fix your attention on this. Yeah. And I, I before we move on to verse three, I want to, uh, this made me think of a, something Paul said in Romans 8, in Romans eight twenty five. He says, we hope for what we do not see. Right. We wait for it with endurance, with, mm, patience, with patience, this this word right here. So we, we hope for what we do not see. Right. And the thing that allows you to do that is faith. You look forward. And faith is as much, you know, where you're looking as much as anything right. else. Right. It's the ability to see what God's doing. Right. Because he said he was doing it. Yeah. The assurance <laughs> of things Hoped not for. seen. Yeah. Hope for. Yeah. So there we go. So let's move on to verse three. Okay. Am I reading? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Consider him who endured from sinners. Oh, so he endured. Yes. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or mm-hmm. faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Okay, so he's going to open this whole idea of remembering who we are. Yeah. We're sons. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whose his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. <gasps> oh, we have to stop there. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. But he, he does he does address the fact that people during his time, his audiences, as well as the people in Hebrews 11, as well as us, mm-hmm. are dealing with, what do I say about the fact that my current situation is really bad? Right. What? How do I look at that? Did God stop loving me? Did God renege right. on his promise for good? I mean, what what does that all mean? And uh, and he encourages us, like Jesus, not not to grow weary. Don't don't be faint-hearted about that. You know, you, you need to just push on. But have you ever thought about the fact he's saying that the difficult times you're going through are in some way um, a sign of God sort of trimming you up, <laughs> well, of disciplining you? God's purpose for us is to become like His Son Jesus. Right. right. And so all of this that we endure here 
is that training, that disciplining process, right? The the root idea with discipline is training. Yeah, and and uh, you know, you talk to someone who's been who's been spoiled their entire life, and they grew up in adulthood, and they're bitter about the fact that their their parents never did that. They never right. actually trained them. They never pruned them right. in that sense, and they and they were left, you know, unattended. And so this this is what he's saying. You know, a good father does this with his children. So if you're if you're in the middle of what are tough times, and you know, without question, tough mm-hmm. times. Have you ever considered the fact that this is just like a father disciplining his child, and and in a way pruning and trimming you up, and in and, and and gradually disconnecting you from this world so that you'll be ready for you know, the, the eventual promise to come true. Well, and this phrase that we may share his holiness stops me every time I read it through Jesus and through the process of making us holy, our sanctification, that $50 word, God is making us ready to live in eternal fellowship with him, sharing in his holiness. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's a mind-boggling idea. And we remind ourselves that holiness isn't just, you know, purity. Holiness is separatedness. Separation. You know, we're, not, yeah. we're not part of this place anymore. And, right. Uh, in, in, which strongly implies we're not part of the influence and proximity of sin and the corrosiveness right. of it. So God's saying, I want you to be apart from that junk, like I'm apart yeah. from that junk. And so, yeah, so very clearly with that word, he's saying that this discipline, this hard stuff you're going through is actually preparatory for you being not a part of this place mm-hmm. anymore. You know, that just suddenly brings to mind when Jesus prayed for us in John 17. He said, Father, sanctify them. Yeah. Make them holy the way I am holy. Right? Set apart for God's purposes. And then at the end of that prayer, he says, Father, I want them to be where I am. Yeah. That they may yeah. see my glory. Yeah. The only way we can be where he is and see his glory is by being made holy. Yeah. And this discipline process thing, is part of that. Yeah, that whole thing speaks of our separatedness yes. from this place. Yes. Yeah. So the degree to which you're entwined with this place, uh, it, it'll be a, it'll be a hard process letting go of this place. So I, that whole sanctification and, and holiness process sounds just like it's making me a better person, but that's it's not, not it. that at all. It's making me disconnected. Is right. what it is from this from, place. from this temporary place. Right, and not just dis- disconnected from something, but actually connected to Him and His promise, right. which is yet to be for a per- for God's purpose for God's for purpose, His holiness yeah. and His glory to be seen in us. Yeah, and it'll in the end it'll yield a peaceful fruit yeah. of righteousness. I love that phrase. It's beautiful. A peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So, so God's in the process of bringing you to peaceful fruit <laughs> to bring you to a place that's much superior to this place right here that's the holiness process so, so i i would just remind our listeners every time you see the word holy think separated or apart from mm-hmm. because that's because you're, you're being set apart for something so much better mm-hmm. so much better than this place don't settle for second best and this life is that second best you can still be blessed by god here and great things can happen but man like paul says you just haven't got a clue how much better it's going to be so set your sights there run the race to there endure stay under hoopomeno stay under it and get to there because that's where your sights need to be not here well and the reality of the suffering and the difficulty here is not being devalued by this statement right right because we do live here for this assigned period of time and life will unfold as it unfolds and we must walk through it and it's very real and very concrete yeah Uh, yeah 
but there is a bigger reality. There's a bigger reality coming. So, so yeah, it's like the theologians say it's it's already, but not yet. So right. you're already in this position where you can have uh, fellowship with God, understand joy, understand what that's all about. But you're still surrounded by the the annoying presence of sin. So look where you're going. Yeah, <laughs> instead look, of going where you're looking. Look at the, exactly. <laughs> Put your eyes on the goal and uh, right. don't be distracted from that and stay under until the very end because the staying under process, that endurance thing, has great value in it. And I think that's what we don't look at. We say, well, God promised me good life, but I'm not having good life right now. Well, this isn't the fullness of his promise to you. But if you stay under, you'll be prepared for that. You'll be ready to go. So then the writer encourages us, therefore, in verse 12, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what's lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So that that discipline process is part of the healing Mm -hmm. and making right what has been so wrong. Right. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Oh, we could talk about that for a long time. Forever. Uh, Verse 16, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Mm. Okay, so that actually relates quite a lot to what we just were talking about when uh, Esau was fixed on the here and now. Yeah, yeah. I'm starving hungry. Give me that bowl of beans. Yeah. Instead, yeah. I'll give you my birthright. Sure. Well, yeah, because if you remember his exact words, if I recall it exactly, was I'm about to die. I'm about to die. So what use do I have for a birthright? <laughs> right. I mean, his his uh, his horizon was his own death. Right. It wasn't the promise of God, which was oh, to come. Oh, his horizon was his own appetite in exactly. the here and now. Yeah. So that that's where he really went astray. Yeah. And when you talk when you talk about <laughs> you compare the two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and we look at we look at all the scallywaggy, you know, under yeah. the table things that Jacob did. Esau's problem wasn't really so much that. His problem was he just didn't believe in the promise. He didn't believe that there he was didn't an find value in it. No. Nope. And so he's willing to to trade it away for a meal one day. So um so yeah, so here at the end here, from for our today at least, from twelve to sixteen, he's really giving us sort of a corporate exhortation. You know, mm-hmm. you need to right. you need to figure out how to strengthen one another's hands, how to lift up, how to keep the sight amongst you toward the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone. It was it's kind of the bottom line explanation between he says, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't put away your meeting together. You need to encourage right. one he another. He had already said that back yeah. in chapter ten, and and encourage each other for the purposes of of talking about the problems that we're going through and and how to keep our focus on right. the end promise and how to do that. That's exactly what he's saying right Lifting here. one another up, making the path straight. Right. But you know, what we do from going from here to there, which he'll do right. much more in chapter 13. Right. But see, you know, do you want to spend just a little bit of time since we do on this root of bitterness that mm. springs up? Because we, we come back to this a lot because we see a lot of people who are very bitter. Oh my bitter, gosh, bitterness very is bitter. so utterly disabling and it has those little hair fine tendrils that penetrate so deep. Yeah. And then suddenly something inflames them and they spring up and the bitterness spews out 
all over everybody in earshot. Yeah. You all know what I'm talking about because yeah. you've yeah. either been the spewer or the spewee. <laughs> it is such a vivid, a vivid a metaphor vivid when you think about a root mm-hmm. that's hidden underground, right. and then all of a sudden it springs up at this plant, and you go, "Man, where did that right. come when from?" When the conditions are right, exactly, it becomes not invisible but exceedingly visible. Yeah, yeah. So there's there really is. I think that when in this specific context, he's talking about the fact that people have this expectation that God said, "I'll bring you good life," and and right. The root of bitterness says, yeah, well, I'm not having it right now. So what? what's going well, on? Well, he connects that to failing to grasp the grace of God, yes. right? He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God yeah. so that no root of bitterness will spring It's up, almost right? like that's an opposite to the bitterness. Uh, yes, it is the grace of God that heals our bitterness, that allows us to forgive and to let go yeah. of the things that we bite down on that are so painful. Yeah. It's we could spend days. We on could this. we could maybe spend a whole show talking and about this. Almost like he says at the end of that phrase in fifteen, and by it, oh, many, many become defiled. Become defiled. Because isn't it true when you give vent to your own deep rooted bitterness and mm-hmm. finally plop it out there, that poison gets all over everybody, and it incites others to own your bitterness yeah. and then they feed their own. Yep. That's bitterness is a toxic. It's poison. toxic. And it it's the root of the root of bitterness is actually dissatisfaction right. with God giving you what you thought he was going to give right. you. He didn't do what I expected him right. to do and he didn't give me what I wanted and so I'm just going to chew on that and yeah. suck on that bitter little Yeah, like pill. I, I married this person who I thought was a gift from God and now we're divorced. <laughs> so what happened there? Right. And that expectation just gets dashed and you right. think, this this isn't right. This isn't what I signed up for. And so you become bitter. And then you start having weird expectations from God and then it ends up infecting almost everything with your relationships with others. We could talk about this for days, <laughs> but we don't have time. Well, I think that's why the writer just implants this picture, yeah. the, that root of bitterness. A root is hidden below the ground, but it's feeding life to something. Right. Uh, that's what bitterness does. And you, you counteract that by leaning on the grace of God. God will give to me regardless of my worthiness. It's coming anyway. His promises are good. I'll just cling to that. And we probably need to say just a quick word about Esau not being able to find a place for repentance. Esau experienced genuine remorse. He mourned. He He was sorry that what he had done caused trouble in his life, but he did not repent. He didn't repent. Just acknowledging his having having wronged God. His sin was against God. Yep, yep. Go, go read about it it's in Genesis 27 it, yeah, it's famous we're out of time we it's need to famous. maybe address that at another time yeah so we're going to look at the rest of this chapter next week and we hope you're with us because he brings to such a great conclusion it's pretty much a conclusion of the whole book before he gets to some practical tips in 13 so I'm Jim and I'm Dorothy and we're so glad you're with us we hope you're kind of catching this because this is this is profoundly central to the message of the entire Bible and what God's intention for you is so join us next week on More, More Than, Than Ink. More Than Ink is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. That was hot. Let's just leave that alone. <laughs>